Hello, and welcome inside my chewy head. What kind of person gets locked up in a mental hospital? Someone violent? Unpredictable? Dangerous? What does it take to end up on an acute psychiatric ward? And if you did, would you ever tell anyone about it? This podcast is about dispelling myths, fear and stigma surrounding mental health from my own personal experience as a patient. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And don't forget that if you include my podcast name, Chewy Head Podcast, in the How Did You Hear About Podco section, I could get an additional $5, which roughly converts into £4. So please help me because every penny counts. Hello, um, welcome back to another episode. Today we are talking about Hannah and we're talking about the very interesting and richly varied landscape that is personality disorders. I'll just, you know, as usual, preempt this episode by saying I'm not an expert on personality disorders. Anything I talk about is from my own personal experiences and from things I've been told by mental health professionals and from my own research using websites like the NHS website and Mind and things like that. I could be wrong. I'm very happy to learn and grow and develop in my understanding of this area. So if I say anything and someone thinks, that's not quite right. Please do contact me and correct me. I'm absolutely fine with that. Okay, so Hannah. I met Hannah because she took Maria's bed on the ward. So she was sleeping in the bed opposite me, which really, as you will find out, was not brilliant. But there we are. She was quite a young girl. Um, and my first impressions of her was that she was extremely whingy and annoying. She Remember at this point, I'm really very, I've got low tolerance for pretty much everything and everyone. And I just found her to be one of those people who... You know, when children don't get their own way and they use that kind of high-pitched, whiny voice, she seemed to use that voice, I would say, about 60% of the time in which she had any interactions with anyone, be it a member of staff or another patient or on the phone, which she was a lot. And so I'll be honest with you, as usual, I wasn't necessarily the most forward when it came to making introductions to her and I certainly didn't put myself out there and I had no real interest in befriending the girl. It became clear to me because she was very upfront about this that she had a personality disorder because by the way just because I wasn't upfront to her didn't mean that she didn't attempt to talk to me or you know make a conversation with me and you know I wasn't that mean where I would rebuff her but you know I wasn't going out of my way. But anyway, so she had a personality disorder. And if you don't know much about personality disorders, I'll just give you a little bit of of my understanding of what a personality disorder is. Now, there are a variety of different types of personality disorders. You've got paranoid personality disorder. You've got obsessive compulsive personality disorder. You've got, I think there's one linked to violence. I'm not sure what that one's called. Uh, It might be aggressive personality disorder, but I might be making it up. But the one I'm talking about today is the one which is the most common, and that is borderline personality disorder. It's the one that Winona Ryder is famously diagnosed with in Girl Interrupted. If you haven't seen that film or read the book, you definitely should. And 
it's sometimes known as emotionally unstable personality disorder. I think there's a there's a lots of different acronyms which actually all just mean borderline personality disorder. And I don't know whether that term has been removed because it's offensive, but it's still on the NHS website, so I suppose not. About 70% of those people who are uh, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder are female. And certainly my experience going through the ward, I was fortunate, I suppose you could say, in that I did meet a, a male uh, who had borderline personality disorder, which I, I will talk about. But obviously, Hannah was a female. So some of the things which categorise borderline personality disorder are the following. Uh, people who tend to be very emotionally unstable, so they can be really, really suicidal, desperately sad one moment and then literally half an hour later be happy as Larry. Everything's wonderful. They tend to have very kind of fixed thought patterns. So things are very black and white. So either they absolutely love something or it's the worst thing in the world and that kind of extends to their relationships with people so they often have quite unstable relationships so they're often very intense and quite needy in the way in which they uh, attach themselves to people and therefore it's all or nothing so either they really really love people 100% or they absolutely hate people and they're the worst people in the world and there's kind of no in between. They also tend to have quite impulsive behaviour so things like having sex with lots of strangers or taking loads of drugs, gambling, self-harm, anything which is impulsive that you can think of. Some people have huge shopping addictions and that's part of, of their personality disorder. And there are also symptoms where people see or hear things as well. Um, but I didn't experience seeing or witnessing any of that sort of behaviour. So I can't really lend myself to talking about that too much. But definitely, I would say that Hannah definitely demonstrated a lot of these symptoms. And so when she said that she had a personality disorder, I believed her. So for example, she was very emotionally unstable. She would be crying her eyes out, hysterically crying. And remember, there's literally a curtain between us and I can hear everything. I literally, I learned so much about the girl without really having to speak to her because she would have these really, really loud phone conversations at any time of the day or night and didn't seem to have any regard for the fact that other people in the, the room are trying to sleep. And they would be conversations which were really highly emotional. And she would obviously have the other person, as you would do, on loudspeaker. So you would hear their side of the conversation as well. And it would be all about her relationship with that person. So there was some male on the scene. I don't know whether he was her boyfriend or just some romantic interest or an ex-boyfriend, but they were very on and off, on and off all the time having these arguments. She would cry a lot. And then the next day you'd be like, oh, maybe I've missed an episode of The Hannah Show because apparently they're in love again and everything's good. So don't know what happened there. So it was very difficult for me to keep up with. I was getting emotional whiplash just from being in the bed opposite this girl. So I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be her. And her emotional instability was really linked to her relationships, as I've kind of said already. So on the ward as well, she was really, really keen to find friends on the ward or to fit in. And then, you know, people naturally formed people that they would speak to. So as I said, for me, it was Roy and Susan. And there were a few other people. But apart from that, I really just wanted to be on my own. And then obviously when Roy was discharged it was just me and Susan and to be honest with you I was at the stage where I really just didn't give a shit about anything and I just didn't care so it didn't bother me at all whether I sat on my own at dinner did not care but she was really really keen like I think she even asked me once you know when you were at school when I was at school certainly I went to an all-girls school and literally anything that you did you were like will you come to the toilet with me will you be my partner in PE because you were just you always needed to be with someone and she was very much like that so I think she said to me once like 
do you want to sit with me at dinner? And I was a bit like, Jesus, I'm, what is this? I'm not on an episode of what, Mean Girls or something. No, you know, whatever. So she was very much like that. And there were a few kind of younger girls on the ward, but they weren't in our dormitory, who obviously had made friends or whatever, decided that they could cope with each other's level of crazy. <laughs> if you can use that term, obviously, I, I don't, I'm not saying that as if they're crazy and I'm not because obviously we were all on the same psychiatric ward. But anyway, she really wanted to be friends with these girls. And I don't think that maybe the way in which because a lot of the way in which she presented was very kind of in your face, attention seeking, like I'm here because I, I tried to kill myself and I'm, I'm going to hurt my like just lots of just very dramatic outlandish things she would say a lot of the time, which were kind of almost attention seeking. And for some reason, the girls didn't really respond well to that. And also when they weren't necessarily as inclusive of her as they could have been, maybe she would then start crying and the whining would come out and then she would say to them, why don't you like me? Nobody on this ward likes me. And one of her loudspeaker conversations with her mum was literally, it sounded like a secondary school child or a primary school child even at school being like, oh, they don't want to play with me. It was literally like that where she was like, I want to be moved to a different ward because nobody on the ward likes me here. And you were thinking what? This is a psych ward. You, like, really? Are you trying to curry favour on a psych ward? I, I just, I didn't get it. I really didn't get that. But clearly she had very unstable relationships. In terms of impulsive behaviour, oh my goodness, did she have that one down. So as I've kind of alluded to, she would self-harm, but she would do it in, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there really is a right way to self-harm, is there? But she would certainly, things would reach an emotional peak for her. So I'd hear her having an emotional argument or moment with a member of her family or her boyfriend or whoever he was or after a, something on the ward an altercation whatever I would hear her like crying and then cutting herself and then she would immediately go to a, um, a, a member of staff and be like look I've just cut myself and therefore wanted kind of obviously to be looked after and cared for which is fair enough on a, on a ward I suppose but that was very impulsive and she also as I found out again from the many many phone calls she had a thing for gambling and I remember one particular conversation she had been allowed off the ward with, I don't know, a friend or someone had come and she had gone to a betting shop. And anyway, and then her mum had was on the phone to her and was telling her off about this. And it transpired that she was in £10,000 worth of debt. And bear in mind that she must have been, again, I'm really bad with ages, but she must have been in her late teens, early 20s. It wasn't very old at all. And I found that really shocking to think that someone that young could be on that much debt. And she was crying and saying, like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. And her mum was like, well, why do you keep doing more like you keep making it worse by gambling more and she was like I'm trying to win it back and so really really quite shocking stuff and I think that there was some sort of court case going on you know again this is just from little snatches of conversation that I heard I don't know whether they were to do with with gambling it's it's difficult for me to really say and potentially the most impulsive behavior which was one of the things which I would say most put other patients who she was trying to befriend off of her was that she had sex with someone in our dormitory she 100% had sex with someone in our dormitory so essentially this guy came in we used to get people basically on the ward who were there for uh, a drug detox or an alcohol detox I think it was mostly alcohol and it would be people who they didn't have space for them in substance abuse hospitals because I think they have specific hospitals for those sorts of things so it'd be like someone who they were like came on a Friday night or something they couldn't fit them in somewhere so they just put them on our ward and he was in for that and he was quite a young guy and I suppose if you're I don't know it, I don't know if you were thinking romantic thoughts while being on a psychiatric ward, you might consider him to be on the scale of, of being slightly more attractive than, you know, 
say, some of the other patients. He was certainly younger than a lot of the other male patients and therefore immediately that was a winner. So she took a liking to this guy and they would often be seen talking to each other. And as I've said previously, the doors for the women's area were locked. So you could only get through them if a member of staff gave you a little swab with their lanyard and you were allowed through the doors, which had access to the dormitories and to the female toilet area. For the male ones, you could just go in there whenever you wanted. But for the females, you couldn't. And essentially what she did, because obviously if you were leaving the female area, the door you could open without a lanyard because there wouldn't be staff inside the actual area apart from when they were doing checks or whatever. And so what she'd done is she had, she'd gone in and then she had opened the door for this man and then they'd gone into her bed, drawn the curtain and just had sex on the bed. And so Stephanie is lying on a bed because obviously Stephanie spends a lot of the night up and awake. So she's quite tired in the daytime. So she was having a little daytime nap and she heard this very passionate encounter and there was a huge thing on the ward. A lot of the staff were involved and they got in a lot of trouble for this. Um, and it was factual that this happened. And as a result of that, many of the members of, of, you know, so, for example, Stephanie took issue with this and was like, that's really disrespectful to have sex on a ward, number one. But also when I'm right there, like in the bed next to you, like it's pretty gross in the middle of the day to have to listen to that when I'm trying to sleep. And so it was things like that which essentially made her relationships with other members of, of people on the ward difficult. For me personally, I, I was just kind of just bemused by the girl. I just was a bit like, OK, right, well, we all make different choices, I suppose. But yeah, so she definitely had a lot of the key symptoms of having a personality disorder. And so when she said to me that she had one, I totally was accepting of this. The thing with personality disorders is that quite often the treatment that they that is best for them or is recommended for them. Again, a lot of this is coming from the Mind website and also from my conversations with my favourite nurse who I would talk to about everything and anything. Mostly I was I would talk about different mental health issues because I found it interesting. But essentially what's recommended for them is psychological therapy. And essentially on the ward that we were at, there was, there was no psychological therapy. So in terms of her being on the ward, I think she'd probably come in because of a suicide attempt. Because again, that's something that, that is an impulsive act, which because of their ranging mood swings, people with emotional unstable personality disorder or borderline personality disorder sometimes attempt suicide which is why she was on the ward but because there wasn't really anything that they could do for her on the ward in terms of giving her treatment or medication because she wasn't on any medication I think occasionally she would have a sleeping pill but apart from that she wasn't on any sort of prescribed psychiatric medication and so eventually it got to a Monday and you know Monday's culling day and they wanted to cull her they wanted to get rid of her and have her off the ward and she did not want to leave the ward she wanted to stay on the ward she I don't know whether she just enjoyed the atmosphere on the ward or whether it was about the being a, like a focus for attention or feeling that she was in a safe place. I don't know exactly. Or maybe it was just because it was more of a haven for her from, you know, the, the gambling situation and, and the unstable relationships on the outside. Maybe there was something about the ward that made her want to stay, but she was not able to stay. So essentially she went to her, her meeting because I remember her telling me several times, I'm not ready to go. I know I'm not ready to go. If they tell me I've got to go, I'm going to try and kill myself. And I was like, all right, cool. Great. I'm trying to colour, but cool. And she went into her ward round meeting and then she came out and she was crying and crying. And she obviously I was in, well, it's probably not obvious, but I was just in the dormitory, probably lying on the bed again, thinking about killing myself or whatever. But anyway, she was, she came in and she was like crying. And then she had a loud, as usual, loudspeaker conversation with her, her dear mother. And she was saying, 
they won't let me stay on the ward. They're telling me I've got to be discharged. They're telling me I'm going home at the end of the day and I'm not ready to go, blah, blah, blah. And basically what she did, and I, I heard her do it, she took something, I don't know what she used, but she then self-harmed. And then she went straight up to that. She left the dormitory, went straight to the nurses, displayed her wrists where she self-harmed and said, look, I've self-harmed. How can you possibly discharge me? And they said, look, we're happy to bandage you up, but you are still going because just because you self-harm, that, that is not out of the ordinary for somebody with a personality disorder to do. And we don't think that this wall environment is the best environment for you to be able to recover because it's causing you to to do these things almost for a reaction in order to to maintain your place on the ward, which is obviously not what, what the ward is for. And she found that very difficult, but she was discharged, kicking and screaming into community care and probably the psychological therapy that she very much needed. But uh, having had conversations with my favourite nurse, apparently this is quite common that people with personality disorders want to stay on the ward and they would rather be on the ward than leave, which, you know, is so interesting, isn't it? Because that was the last place in hell I wanted to be. And by this point, I was sectioned, so I had no choice but to be there. Yeah, isn't it strange that, you know, I would have done anything to get off the ward, well, or just out of life, and she wanted to be on it. There we go, ironic. But she she wasn't the only patient, as I say, who was on the ward with a personality disorder. At the time, there was also a man who was on the ward as well, who had been diagnosed with a personality disorder, and we'll call him Julian. And Julian was quite different in the way in which he came across. But then again, there were some similarities. So he had spent a lot of time in and out of this particular hospital ward, so much so that he knew the names of all the staff. He could tell you stories about things that happened previously and all of this. He was like a regular. It was almost like, you know, you get people who go on holiday to the same place every year. It was a bit like that. And actually thinking about it, he was obsessed with cruises. Okay. Him and his partner, they went on cruises four times a year. He would tell you in detail about all the cruises that he'd been on. And he would go on the same cruise around the same destinations with the same cruise ship every single year. So perhaps, I don't know, this is just a theory I'm coming up with on the spot, but perhaps this this hospital ward and his re-entrance onto it was almost like a form of that, I don't know. But he lived, literally, he could point out to me out of the ward window. He was like, you see that house over there? And I was like, yeah, because like, yeah, I live there. I was like, oh, right. okay." so it was like a home from home. It was within walking distance. And ironically, actually, he was on the ward again because feeling suicidal. But I I found his obviously, I don't know what was her her motivations were. And, you know, clearly she was someone who was very unstable, very vulnerable. I'm talking about Hannah right now. But with Julian, you could see that he had had some very serious suicide attempts. So on his arms, both of his arms, literally from the elbow to the wrist, on both arms were huge thick scars all the way down the arms in a long line and that was because he had previously literally split his arms open essentially in, in an attempt to to try and kill himself and he also told me that last year he'd spent months on an intensive care unit following a suicide attempt in which he'd taken a load of, of drugs medication whatever so clearly he was really struggling mentally with with suicidal thoughts he wasn't really the same as Hannah in terms of being really kind of very emotional and cryy or anything like that. He just wasn't like that. He was quite a level, stable guy. And to be honest, I quite liked him. I thought he was quite nice. But yeah, so he lived separately from his partner. As a result of his personality disorder, he said that it worked better if they didn't live in the same house. And he didn't work either. He used to be a hairdresser and he couldn't do that anymore because of um, how much the personality disorder had taken over his life which I thought was really, really sad. But I also thought it was quite ironic because essentially he was really anxious. He had a cruise booked, obviously, and it was it was coming up and he really wanted to go on this cruise. And so 
again, it was just strange because obviously he's in there because of a, su- a suicide attempt or feelings of suicide. I think because he'd had such serious suicide attempts before, if he started saying, you know, I'm really feeling very suicidal, they, he was perhaps taken more seriously than someone who had never had that history behind them. But yeah, he was. He kept. He would always say to me like, "Oh, I really, I need to get out this Monday because do you know what? We're going on the cruise on the Thursday. It needs to happen, and I'm not delaying that cruise. Like I really want to go." And I was just like, "This is so strange because if you're if you're suicidal, are you really thinking about going on a cruise? Like, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know. I don't know is the answer. I just found it baffling. Anyway, I found personality disorders really fascinating and. Having had a discussion with, when I moved to a later ward, one of the nurses there, they said that, they were, I said, what's your favourite type of patient that comes on the ward? What kind of diagnosis do you find the most interesting? And they said personality disorders. And I think perhaps that's because it's quite a controversial diagnosis to give someone a, a disorder of the personality, you know, to say, well, what's wrong with you is your personality, because that's how it comes across. I don't think that is what a personality disorder is. I'm not saying that people who because essentially you could be saying, well, your personality is wrong. And I don't think that's it. I think there are just some tendencies and some thought patterns which perhaps are typical of people who think in certain ways and therefore they, they're categorised into having this particular mental illness. But I suppose it's slightly more than a mental illness, given that, you know, it's not something that drugs medication is really prescribed for it's more of a psychological thing and certainly when I when I did move on to the second ward they had something called peer mentors who essentially were people who had suffered from severe mental health disorders and were now living and demonstrating that you could live successfully in the community with a mental health disorder and or illness and therefore were kind of good examples or inspiration to patients and their job was to essentially just have chats with patients take them out for a walk or whatever and one lady who I met who was a peer mentor she had a personality disorder and she said it's just about learning about yourself and managing your own way of thinking and that was how she found it most beneficial to her to be able to to live a kind of a positive life. So yeah, I think it's certainly very interesting. What did I learn from Hannah and what did I learn from Julian? I suppose I, it made me start really considering that the grey area between where a mental illness begins and where personality ends. Because, you know, there is a reason why I became depressed rather than an alcoholic, for example. There is a tendency in my brain, obviously, to have certain thoughts which pertain to the mental illness of atypical depression. And, you know, at what point does your thoughts or do your thoughts form a mental illness I I find that grey area really really interesting and you know especially when it comes to personality disorders because of that word personality you know are your thoughts what make you your personality if you only have distorted thoughts are you just a mental illness like do you become your mental illness because I would argue that for a lot of the time in which I was in hospital and before I went into hospitals definitely the thoughts that I had, I, I had very, very few thoughts which were not, if any, that were not, were not really, really negative and skewed towards negativity. And there was very little that anyone could say or get through to me uh, as a result of, of that. So I essentially was my mental illness, which was obviously tragically sad and <laughs> was part of the reason why I didn't really get any further because obviously when you're depressed and you think everything's horrendous or that you're horrendous and everything you know in the world is just you're doomed and when you have those really negative thoughts it's very difficult for someone to with a positive outlook or even a balanced perspective to get through to you people would definitely try so I had people say to me 
especially on the first ward, they would say things like, oh, what would you say to your husband if he if he said that he was suicidal and that he wanted to kill himself? And I said, well, if he really believed that that was the best thing for him to do, then he should do it. Because that was my whole perspective. Uh, I would say things like, I don't think that I'm the one who needs help because I have no problem with the fact that I want to be dead. It's the people who will survive me that probably need the help. So they should really be in, in hospital wards because they obviously have, they obviously have a different perspective on on death and so my whole thought process was so <laughs> twisted to believe that suicide was normal and okay and there was nothing wrong with it and it wasn't because to me it wasn't a sad thing I, I didn't feel sad for myself at all that I wanted to be dead there was nothing sad about it it was just factual I just didn't want to be alive and so I don't know I just did I become my mental health disorder or illness or however you want to say it I don't know is the answer what can you learn I think what you can learn from this episode, if you haven't already looked into personality disorders, is that they are absolutely fascinating and probably areas that still need more research and, and more education, which I would argue is, is the case for the majority of mental health illnesses. But also that suicide isn't solely an act that occurs out of a response to depression. So people who attempt suicide aren't necessarily always depressed. They could have a personality disorder. They could have psychosis or schizophrenia. And as a result of that, some a voice in their head or a psychotic delusion could indicate to them that they should take their own life. And the same with self-harm. So I think sometimes we have these assumptions that we make about reasons behind why people make certain decisions. And those reasons aren't necessarily always accurate, which is why I think educating yourself in terms of, of all of these different disorders is probably one of the most beneficial things that you can do just just for your own education and understanding. And so I think overall, it's another area in which further work is needed and further understanding and appreciation is needed in order to really come to any definite conclusions about where the line is between your mental illness and your personality and, and how much of your thoughts make up who you are. If you've heard of Mo Gowdert, he created a happiness algorithm. If you haven't listened to him, he's got a great podcast with Elizabeth Day, which I'd recommend. Um, and he talks about how, you know, Rene Descartes says, I, th I think therefore I am. And so essentially your thoughts make up who you are. Well, he argues you wouldn't say that about another organ in your body. So you wouldn't say, I breathe, therefore I am, or my heart pumps blood, therefore I am. You wouldn't say that, but we attribute so much of our identity to our thoughts. And I think that that in itself is absolutely fascinating. And I think I'm not going to top that as a, a psychological idea today or philosophical idea. And so I'll leave it there, I think. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and thank you for your continued support and your listenership and for all the comments and the feedback that I've received. I listen and hear every single one of you and I'm so, so appreciative of this amazing opportunity that I have here to, to share and, and open a conversation about mental health and I really genuinely value all of my listeners. So thank you so much. If you do fancy giving me a review, I've made it as easy as possible for you. All you need to do is click on the link, which you will find beneath this podcast in the notes section, and you can review me. That would be fantastic. We are very soon and swiftly rounding up my first hospital stint in that particular ward. Uh, so I think I'm probably going to go to about 15 episodes in total for this series before I move on to series two and my new wonderful hospital, which I will go into. 
Next week, I'm going to be discussing my intolerance towards two particularly awkward patients. It's going to be quite a funny one. See you then.